Uh, we have with us here today, Nathan Chexel. Uh, he is the CEO of Platius um, Capital Management. Uh, Nathan, thank, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, what I'd like to do is, and we just kind of kick off, you know, let me start off, tell us just a little bit about your company, you know, exactly what you do. Um, you know, then we can, you know, we can take it from there. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me and very nice to meet you and everybody. Uh, so Palladius is a real estate investment manager um, focused on uh, multifamily student housing, hospitality, as well as investing in um, thematic investment strategies that we have a high conviction around. Uh, we have uh, equity vehicles as well as uh, debt vehicles um, that we invest through. Um, our equity vehicles are just traditional um, uh, equity into real estate assets. And on the debt side, uh, the majority of it is senior secured debt. Um, and occasionally we have some structured credit like preferred equity that we'll make um, into investments as well. Um, so that's that's who we are. And we're based here in Austin, Texas. We have an office in Los Angeles as well as an office uh, in New York City. Okay. So yeah, I have to ask, you know, how did you, you know, what led you to, you know, to start this company? You know, how did, how did you get into the real estate business? Um, well, I've, I've been in the real estate investment business for a little over 20 years um, and um, <clears throat> have been investing across a broad variety of property types. Um, as well as um, different geographies, so here in the U.S. as well as internationally, um, and have been making uh, debt investments alongside some of those equity investments for many years as well. Um, and <clears throat> made the decision to start Palladius um, in part because um, I wanted to build an investment manager um, with a team of people that had true operational expertise uh, at the property level, um, which we viewed as being um, one of the um, most important characteristics that a team has to have to be able to navigate um, both up markets as well as more turbulent markets um, where macroeconomic conditions can be more volatile, um, like the one um, that we are in today or maybe entering today. Um, and having a team with operational expertise, as well as experience working through previous macroeconomic cycles, we believe is a nice mix to have um, because it allows us as active real estate managers um, to more intelligently maneuver through uh, these periods of time, uh, as well as to be able to um, <clears throat> opportunistically acquire deals um, when markets are dislocating like they might be right now. Okay, so yeah, I'd like to get into that a little bit further, you know, about how, you know, how your company is adapting to the current market conditions. I mean, obviously, just, you know, sitting it out, you know, isn't really an option and probably not the best one either. So, you know, what are, you know, what are you doing, um, I guess, differently right now? Um, well, I think that the way we look at the world today is that there is going to be a tremendous buying opportunity coming <clears throat> in the next, over the next 24 months. Um, I think when you look at this moment in time as a snapshot, I think one of the things that we're seeing is that interest rates have moved up so quickly um, and, and, and at a pace that was there, or that is atypical relative to previous rate hiking cycles that um, it is um, going to lead 
into um, a situations where there's going to be, um, I don't want to say forced selling, but there's going to be opportunities where um, uh, we're going to be able to be opportunistic to, to um, pick things off intelligently um, at, at values that we think are attractive relative to where they may have been priced six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. And we think that that is um, we want to we want to be um, well capitalized to be able to move quickly and nimbly um, to take those opportunities down. Um, with respect to our portfolio, I think that we, like many of our peers in the market today, are um, focused very much on asset management and doing things like building occupancy, um, trying to make sure we're streamlining all expenses, um, especially as we move into in Q4 and Q1, which are traditionally um, uh, slower leasing seasons from a, from a, a seasonality standpoint. Um, while taking what the macroeconomic environment gives us um, and, and moving through these two quarters to get to the busier leasing season in Q2 and Q3 of 23. Okay. So, you know, what, you know, what are the big factors that are, you know, affecting um, like the commercial and multifamily property values right now? I mean, is it, is it just interest rates or you know, are there other kind of major things at play here? Well, I think certainly um, interest rates are a big factor, right? I think everything today from a pricing standpoint um, is the debt capital markets driving where pricing is going at this moment in time. Uh, I think what I have learned historically throughout my career is that um, there are optimal moments in time um, when you own a portfolio to be exiting them and you have to be thoughtful about what the current conditions are to see if now is the right time to be exiting um, an asset um, or not. Um, and I think that, uh, again, we're, we're in an environment where um, because um, the, the debt markets are unsure where the forward curve is going and what the Fed might or might not be doing, um, you are seeing that even with benchmark indices rising, um, spreads are moving out. And um, uh, except for those best quality deals in really strong locations or where you have a strong sponsor with a really, really intelligent execution plan, um, at which point you might see lenders try to get more aggressive to win that deal. Um, I think that really it's a lot of what's happening today from a pricing standpoint is just the, the debt capital markets are driving everything at this moment. That may not be the case three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, but to, at this moment in time, that's certainly um, the way it feels today. Okay. And can you, you know, maybe explain that a little bit, um, you know, some of our listeners, like, you know, how that correlation works. I mean, you're buying these assets, you know, you're essentially, um, you're buying an income stream, right? So the cost of the capital to buy that, I mean, directly affects that, that value. Is that, kind of essentially how this all works. Yeah. I mean, you want leverage to be accretive and, um, and, and additive to the returns for your uh, investment that you're making. So certainly when, when the cost of debt is rising and, or there are limitations on proceeds as a function of the current income at the asset that is capable of servicing that debt, um, 
the cost of what you're willing to pay for a deal should come down naturally, assuming you're trying to achieve the same level of risk adjusted returns, right? So what's happening today is that because rates have risen so fast, you have a pretty sizable delta between what sellers are willing to sell assets at and what buyers are willing to pay. Um, and you are seeing deals get done, but at this moment, you've seen transaction volume slow down. Um, I, I suspect that if the Fed slows their pace of rate hikes um, and or um, takes a pause, you will see the market able to digest some of these rate increases from a value standpoint um, for those people that have to sell today. And uh, I think that you'll see transaction volume meaningfully uh, tick higher. Um, certainly there is cash on the sidelines. Um, there are buyers out there waiting for the right deals. Um, we, we are one of those groups, as are many of our peers, waiting for the right opportunities. We're underwriting lots of investments, um, trying to uh, ascertain where the market is from a value standpoint, because I think it's a little bit unclear both for sellers as well as buyers today, uh, because pricing on debt <clears throat> when you're bidding on an asset at this moment, again, is all over the board. Um, and so uh, uh, that that's creating some market dislocation, some uncertainty, some hesitation from sellers willing to, re to sell assets. And so when I said that there's a great buying window coming, over the next 24 months, we're firm believers of that, as are many of our peers. The entry point as to when that window really starts it is a little bit unclear right now, but I think we're getting closer to that moment where you're going to begin to see those opportunities um, really begin to accelerate. Okay. Now, you have um, right now a, an offering on the Realty Mogul crowdfunding platform. Is that right? We we do yes, uh, uh, that's that's uh, Palladius Real Estate Fund one. Okay, so what is um, I mean, it, is that kind of getting a piece of everything you guys are doing right now, or does that fund have kind of a specific objective? Um, I mean, what's I guess what's what's the, the target with? with yeah, fund? that that's a, a, a investment vehicle focused on. Um, value add multifamily and student housing. Um, and we have had a uh, very positive and productive relationship with Realty Mogul. They've been fantastic to work with. Um, their entire team has uh, really been um, a, a great group for us to interface with and to promote um, the idea of the democratization of real estate investing and allowing a broader subset of uh, investors to invest into this specific vehicle um, that we have. Um, and the offering is nearly complete. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, it's been, a, it's been a real delight to work with, uh, with that team. Uh, we've been pleased with the, with the outcome. Okay. Um, now, outside of that offering, um, you know, do you have, you know, typically have different, you know, offerings, different funds available, um, you know, for, for investors to participate in? Um, we, we do offer uh, different vehicles uh, uh, to investors, both institutional and non-institutional. 
um, to invest in. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we have equity vehicles, we have uh, debt investment vehicles, uh, more information can be found um, on our website about those, um, those various uh, fund vehicles. Okay, and what is that website for anybody waiting to uh, It's, it it's uh, palladius.com. Okay. All right, now, um, you know, one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm curious about is, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of people speculate that the housing market is, you know, really going to tank. I mean, I, I don't know that I believe that myself, but, um, you know, say it does, you know, say that housing prices really do just, you know, fall right off. You know, how does that affect um, like multifamily um, valuations or just, perf I mean, I guess all around performance. I mean, what does that do to the rental market and, you know, multifamily market? Yeah. I mean, look, if the, if the single family home market collapses, um, that is obviously problematic across the board because the asset class is so large. Well, while we don't invest in single family, we are multifamily investors. And certainly when interest rates rise as fast as they do, you do have a subset of would-be home buyers that have, the right credit score, the right income, the right uh, down payment cash available to acquire a home. They may look at their mortgage statement and say, you know what, this payment is much higher than I expected it to be. I'm going to stay a renter longer, right? So that has a, there's a beneficial effect to the single family home market becoming much less affordable that benefits multifamily. Um, over time, what you expect to have happen is some of what we're seeing today, which is the single family home market corrects in value. Um, and that there's, there's a, that, that takes some time for it to correct um, to levels where those uh, renters that are looking to move into homes, albeit now at a much higher interest rate, have their um, mortgage payments right sized um, because the overall values are lower. It's typically not a one for one drop, but at least it's a more manageable number that they might feel comfortable with and the benefits um, that multifamily owners may benefit as affordability in the single family home market um, rises and then in the fall, some of that benefit might go away. Not all of it, um, but it does to a certain extent benefit um, the multifamily market um, uh, if, if single family home affordability uh, is less achievable. Okay. So, you know, I imagine, you know, underwriting deals right now has to be a little bit challenging. Um, I mean, you know, you know, how are you, you know, predicting um, like rent growth? I mean, I know, you know, typically a lot of people, you know, have their own model. They're going to just estimate a straight, you know, whatever, three and a half, four percent, you know, rent growth each year. Um, but when you see like the double digit growth that we you've seen recently, you kind of have to assume, um, you know, maybe there's some correction there or, um, maybe not. So, you know, you know, how are you anticipating that, I guess, um, you know, over the next few years, just, um, you know, the rental pricing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Well, certainly we, we pull from third party data sites to see what, Submarket rent growth is projected to be because they have lots of good information. We also have empirical information just being on the ground 
and knowing some of the markets that we're in, we talk to multiple property management companies before we select one to acquire, to acquire, to manage an asset that we might be acquiring. They have their own data based upon assets they're managing in the market. Um, and, and we look at the pricing of a lot of the competitive assets in due diligence um, in order for us to assess where we think um, uh, rental growth rates are going to be in the coming years on top of overlaying what's happening in the broader macro economy in general um, and acknowledging that um, the Fed is trying to engineer uh, a broader economic slowdown. And all of those things in combination are how we assess uh, and underwrite what we think rental growth will be at a specific asset while also factoring in what the execution plan is for that asset, right? If you have a heavy value add program and you've seen that the market has absorbed those types of upgrades, then you may have a different rental growth rate uh, from a projection standpoint relative to just buying a core deal where you're just simply moving with the market, right? So there's a lot of factors that go into how we underwrite an asset, and then more specifically to your question, what market rent growth we underwrite um, when we're thinking about um, what price to pay specifically for that asset. And I think in this environment, you have to be somewhat conservative with your rental growth projections, just given you have to think about all those various factors that the market's giving you. That thought process may change in three months, six months, um, and people may get more aggressive with their underwriting or get further conservative just based upon what's happening in the macro cycle overall. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm curious, where, where do you see, you know, the greatest opportunity right now? Um, you know, whether that's in terms of, you know, specific asset classes or, um, types of investment or geographically, I mean, wh what do you see as the you know, kind of going to be the big win, you know, in the next few years. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we continue to like um, multifamily uh, student housing um, and industrial as one of our thematic investment strategies that we have a high conviction around um, multifamily specifically. I think we are believers that given just the broader supply demand mismatch with housing generally in the U S um, and thinking about which markets are going to see, um, outsized wage growth and outsized new job growth relative to national averages. Um, those are places that we want to continue to invest in. So markets like Austin, Dallas, Houston, Florida, um, uh, Las Vegas, where we, for a variety of reasons, believe that there will continue to be people moving to those locations. And then, um, and then you're going to have jobs there, um, that are outpacing the national average in terms of wage growth. Um, we also uh, think a lot about climate change and what's happening in the U.S., and we do sprinkle some tactically contrarian bets um, into places like Chicago, which we really um, like as a market um, because, again, there's a tremendous amount of demand for um, multifamily, and we think the conditions there um, although the last few years have been more challenged, we think that the conditions there are getting better um, and more attractive for multifamily investment. Uh, and it's not a market that everyone's thinking about, despite it being the third largest city in the country and being um, the number one market for corporate relocations for the last, I, I want to say, seven or eight years. Um, so 
we like multifamily. We, we really like student housing quite a bit. We think that coming out of the pandemic um, where we saw rental rates really slashed pretty drastically in order to maintain what little occupancy people could as people were um, learning from home or learning from away. Um, as students have returned back to schools, um, we really like um, the student housing space, um, both campus adjacent properties, as well as assets that might not be campus adjacent, but are in markets where there's uh, a lot of growth taking place um, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, be it the school itself and what they're trying to do in terms of their own growth, be it um, just the market that that school happens to be in and overall growth happening in that market. Um, so we really like that space a lot. Um, and we continue to like industrial, specifically multi-tenant industrial, um, uh, especially um, uh, product that's one, three or five miles from the end consumer, um, because we think that that kind of product is going to stay highly occupied um, um, and going to be um, in real demand from a broad variety of tenants um, because um, last mile delivery, especially the pace of last mile delivery uh, has become a critically important component um, to a successful supply chain. Um, and so that is something that we think isn't going away uh, coming out of COVID. So we, we continue to like that space um, as opposed to let's say buying a 500,000 square foot warehouse somewhere with a single credit tenant we don't, we don't like that space as much. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a really, you know, interesting space. I, um, that, you know, I, I agree. I think that's, um, I don't, I don't see that going away, especially as everybody is becoming so well adapted to, uh, I mean, two days shipping is kind of too long now. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I even find right. myself I'm on Amazon, <laughs> on Amazon where, you know, five years ago, I thought, holy cow, you can get this to me in two days. And now I'm like, what? They have, same, wait, they have same day delivery. Two days? Yeah, now it's what I'm looking for. It's, it's so with those consumer expectations, I don't I don't think that can reverse necessarily. That's right. That's right. And infill, infill assets will always be in demand, especially if they're proximate to the end consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so Nathan, I'm going to, the next question um, this is something I'm curious about. So if it doesn't really apply, you don't have a great answer. We can just, um, delete this, but, um, sorry, I word this, um, you know, how do you, you know, kind of factor in, um, like kind of environmental, um, Kind of issues, I suppose, when you know looking at different lo different markets, um, you know, with with droughts, I guess, wildfires, or just you know, all different types of environmental concerns. I mean, is that something that kind of is, plays into um, you know, when into your you know selection of markets to invest in? Yeah, I mean, very much so, right? Because the cost of insurance continues to climb. Um, given all of the really uh, horrible named storms that the U.S. has been hit with over the last 10 years. And um, you do have to be really thoughtful as a real estate investor about which markets to invest in and then how climate change affects those markets. Uh, and it is a factor that we, we, we think about a lot. Um, 
given existing drought conditions across the U.S. I mentioned earlier that we've been sprinkling some investments in Chicago. One of the reasons we like that market, as I mentioned, is because as the Sun Belt and the South continue to get hotter and hotter and run out of water, um, we, I, we think that in the coming years, there's going to be some migration shift back towards the North um, because people will, um, will have some of these issues um, that will... Um, as much as they are um, headlines now, we think just they're going to become a practical reality for a lot of people and, and make certain markets very difficult to live in um, unless those municipalities and states solve some of those issues like where's the water um, and wildfire risk. Uh, and how do you appropriately plan for large name storms if you're coastal? So, you know, all of those factors are things that we think about. Um, that doesn't mean we don't invest in those markets. Uh, there's, but but I think you have to be thoughtful as an investor about those conditions. No, absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Um, hey, look, before I, you know, I know you have to get going soon. Uh, before I let you go, you know, I'm wondering if you, you know, you could have any, you know, advice for our listeners, you know, just on as they're trying to navigate this market and you know choose you know, what type of assets they're investing in, whether they're looking to buy their own properties or they want to, you know, go with, um, you know, vehicles such as, you know, what you offer or they're going to look on the Realty Mogul platform or whatever. Um, well, you, you said any just in general advice or just? Uh... Yeah, yeah, just general advice. What you think, um, you know, people should be mindful of, you know, right now specifically. Yeah, I, look, I, I think that... Um investing with people that have subject matter expertise, operational expertise is always helpful in an environment like this where macroeconomic conditions can be volatile and somewhat turbulent. These, these periods of time don't last forever, but having the ability to successfully navigate these conditions, I think requires having uh, that level of operational expertise. And whether it's our platform or many of our peers that also have similar levels of operational expertise uh, and or subject matter expertise. I think those are things that if you're a, if you're a more passive real estate investor, those are the, the characteristics you want to look for with an investment manager. Uh, I think having a successful track record is important. Um, I think having a, a, a bench or a team of people um, that have a variety of, of skill sets from uh, uh, acquisitions to uh, asset and construction management are going to be critically important. Uh, I, I think having some of the skill sets like asset management and construction management in-house uh, help quite a bit. So those sponsors that are vertically integrated, uh, I think, um, have the ability to be more successful in challenging environments relative to others that might not. Um, not in every case, but I think just, again, having more skills um, is a is better in general um, to be investing alongside versus those that do not have those skills necessarily. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, all right. So again, so we have uh, Nithin. It's Palladius Capital Management. Uh, we're going to have the the website in the description. Anybody wants to check it out. Um, hey, thank you again so much for your time today. Um, you know, I know I learned a lot. I'm sure everybody else did as well. It was a real pleasure. Uh, Kevin, it was a pleasure to, to, to get to spend some time with you today. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.